people are nearing their last few breaths of life, sometimes the words that they speak, those very last few words, they can be poignant and meaningful. They can be sometimes humorous and funny, depending on, well, just what ends up taking place. Sometimes they can be downright mean or just off-the-wall weird. But last words can make quite an impact. For instance, here's a handful of famous people's famous last words. Joseph Wright was the linguist who edited the English Dialect Dictionary. His last word was reported to be dictionary. Sounds thrilling, right? Your last word is the thing that you've spent an entire life working on. How about surgeon Joseph Henry Green? He was checking his own pulse as a surgeon as he lay dying. His last word was reported to be stopped. I think he just said exactly what took place with him. How about Harriet Tubman? When she was dying in 1913, she gathered her family around and they sang together. Her last words, swing low, sweet chariot. How about Bo Diddley? You don't know Bo. Bo died giving a thumbs up as he listened to the song, Walk Around Heaven. His last word was reported to have been, wow. How about Sir Winston Churchill? His last words were reported to have been, I'm bored with it all. Or convicted murderer, Thomas J. Grasso. He used his last words to complain. He complained about his last meal that he was given. His last words were this, I did not get my SpaghettiOs, I got spaghetti. I want the press to know this. You see, we use famous last words for all kinds of things. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, who wrote the Sherlock Holmes stories, died at age 71 in his garden. He turned to his wife and said, you are wonderful, then clutched his chest and died. So from the touching to the bizarre, famous last words carry impact. Benjamin Franklin lay dying at the age of 84, and his daughter told him to change position in bed so he could breathe more easily. Franklin's last words were reported to be, a dying man can do nothing easy. Interesting. Here's poet Emily Dickinson, and her last words sounds like maybe the beginning of a poem. She said, I must go in for the fog is rising. Famous last words. As we get to the end of the book of Joshua, chapter 23 and chapter 24, what we see are some of the last words of Joshua. Joshua is nearing the end of his life. He has been now proclaimed as the leader of Israel. Chapter 24 indicates that he will die at the age of 110. So chapters 23 and 24 give us his last reported words, his last reported efforts at communicating to the people of Israel. It appears to be two separate meetings. Chapter 23 that we'll be looking at this morning uh, is him connecting with his leaders, and most would see chapter 24 as this meeting with all of the people, the leaders and all of the people. Joshua wants to encourage Israel. 
He wants to encourage the Israelites to stay the course, to stay faithful and true to God. And so with his last words, chapters 23 and 24 will communicate many of those things. You see, the old guard, the people who had known Moses and Joshua and experienced this leadership, and now Joshua for many, many years... They were dying off. This new generation was was coming up. And as they have gone through a lot and been brought into the promised land through the power of God, Joshua is wanting to communicate. More than the fact that the fog was rising, more than the fact that he didn't get his SpaghettiOs, he wanted to communicate some pretty important truths to the Israelites. And I believe he has a number of famous last words that he's guiding the Israelites, and those are some encouraging and challenging and instructional words for you and I in our lives as well. So in Joshua chapter 23, verses 1 and 2, it says, After a long time had passed, and the Lord had given Israel rest from all their enemies around them, Joshua, by then a very old man summoned Israel, their elders, leaders, judges, and officials, and said to them, I am very old. Twice in two verses, we are, we are made aware that Joshua is old. Now, I know when, we, when it comes to age, you know, we can be kind of sensitive about things, you know, whether we're you know, early 40s, mid 40s, uh, you know, how, how up there is up there and, you know, uh, whether, whether you want to claim being a senior citizen or not. And when it comes to age, we're not real crazy about age. But most of us, I would venture to say most of us would agree that 110, it's up there a little bit right? Just, just a bit. So what we see is that Joshua was a very old man and then said to these leaders, in case you hadn't heard or in case you haven't seen, in case you haven't experienced, newsflash, I am very old. So he's getting ready to share some of these final challenges, some of these final words, some of these, these final uh, encouragements to the people. So famous last words. We're going to look at a few of them this morning as we take a look at chapter 23. We'll look at a handful next week as well in the majority of chapter 24. Famous last words. Here's one of them from Joshua. Remember. Remember. Joshua chapter 23, starting in verse 3. You yourselves have seen everything the Lord your God has done all these nations for your sake. It was the Lord who fought for you. Verse 4, remember how I have allotted as an inheritance for your tribes all the land of the nations that remain, the nations I conquered between the Jordan and the Mediterranean Sea in the west. The Lord your God himself will push them out for your sake. He will drive them out before you, and you will take possession of their land as the Lord your God promised you. So one of his famous last words is that word, remember. Joshua's concern for the Israelites is complacency. He doesn't want them to take God for granted. 
He doesn't want them to just kind of assume or overlook all that God has done. He's encouraging the Israelites, remember what God has done for you. Now, certainly, this segment of the Israelites has not experienced the hundreds of years of history. They've heard it accounted and recounted, and they've been a part of some pretty incredible things. We've gone through them over the course of our time and our study in the book of Joshua. But they know God's faithfulness to deliver them out of Egypt. They know God's faithfulness to bring them across the Jordan, to help them conquer Jericho, to help them with all of these lands and areas. Remember what God has done for them. Joshua doesn't want them to take it for granted. Remember, remember, remember. How about for you and I? Do we sometimes take for granted what God has done? We must remember, remember, remember. It's a big part of what we do when we take communion is this do in remembrance of me. We are remembering what God has done. We encouraged you just a few moments ago to to think back and to reflect on what God has done, to see salvation, to maybe see healings, to see provision, just to to reflect. Sometimes if we're not careful, uh, we we can kind of skip over the blessings. We can skip over the goodness of God and focus on the negatives and focus on all of the issues at hand. Certainly we can have those. We can have struggles and we can have trials and we can have hardships. But sometimes they overtake memories of and reminders of the goodness of God. Joshua is saying to the Israelites, remember, remember what God has done. Remember how God has fought for you. He's saying God has pushed nations out of the way for you. Do you remember that? I mean, look around. Do you see where I'm standing? Do you see where you're sitting? God gave this to us. This was someone else's land, sinful nations, and God pushed them out of the way, and God gave this to us. Remember that. Remember what God had done. Remember how God fought. Remember his might and his power. You've seen that displayed over this time, over these years of conquering, over the years even in the wilderness, God's power at work, remember, don't forget. He says, remember about your inheritance. Remember this area that's been given to you. It's been abundantly given. This is good land, and it's been given as an inheritance to you from God. What has God given to you? We think back and not just, okay, not just about finances, not just about a a paycheck. What are some things God has blessed and God has given and bestowed into your lives? You know, if you stop and you pause and even to, to write them down, man, sometimes they will just overwhelm us as as our list just grows and grows and grows. It's that hymn of the church. Count your blessings, name them one by one. 
count your many blessings. See what God has done. The trouble is sometimes we don't seek to do that or we don't stop or slow down enough to do that, to stop, to remember, and to count the blessings. Joshua is encouraging the Israelites to remember all of these things. Remember what he's done. Remember how he's fought on your behalf. Remember the inheritance. Remember the victories. Joshua's saying, remember, we didn't have brilliant military strategy and skill. We were not the equipped armies that became most powerful. It wasn't us, it wasn't our effort that has come in and conquered the territory, it was God. Remember the victories that God has wrought in our favor. I invite you and I to do that. Remember the victories, remember the battles that have been won that God has accomplished on your behalf. God is working on our behalf. Victories that God has given through prayer. Victories that God has given through His guidance and direction. Remember, He says. And then remember His promises. He says, He will drive them out. You'll take possession of the land as the Lord your God promised you. These are some familiar words that Joshua has said throughout the book, and he's wanting to remind them. Remember and remember about God's promises. He's been faithful. See, you and I can have faith for the future and encouragement for that as we look back at God's faithfulness in the past. When it comes to our kids, when it comes to our grandkids, we, we want to show ourselves faithful. And we say, Be, you know, because you've trusted me up to this point, know that you can trust me to the next point. It's that to the nth degree with God. As we look back in our lives, we can see his faithfulness time after time after time after time. And as we look back at that, even when sometimes we're in the midst of a difficulty, that's a great reminder to hold on to for the storm to come or for the storm that we're currently in. And so one of these main things here at the end of Joshua's life, after this incredible book, after these incredible battles, after these incredible conquests given by God, he says, remember. He encourages the Israelites to remember. And I think for you and I, as we're getting to the end of this book and some challenges for you and I, we would do well to remember all that God has done for us. There's a second important word that I believe he shares, another famous last word, and that is, well, it's a four-letter word. Literally a four-letter word, but it's a four-letter word we don't really like so much. It's called obey. Look at verse 6 and following. He says, be very strong. Be careful to obey. All that is written in the book of the law of Moses, without turning aside to the right or to the left. Do not associate with these nations that remain among you. Do not invoke the names of their gods or swear by them. You must not serve them or bow down to them, but you are to hold fast to the Lord your God as you have until now. See, Joshua was concerned that they might compromise 
That they might lower the standards. That they might give in to the nations around them and to the idols around them. And so he, he's encouraging them to obey. Not just remember God in his goodness, but be faithful to obey. See, he starts out, verse 6, by saying, be very strong. If you remember, way back at the beginning, and we started quite a while ago, but Joshua chapter 1, God's words to Joshua were to be strong, be strong and courageous, be strong, be strong, be strong. So God was encouraging Joshua. Now Joshua is encouraging the people, be very strong. It's this super determination and incredible resolve to obey God, not stray from God, not soften our faithfulness or obedience to God. He says, be careful to obey most of what is written in God's word. Is that what Joshua says? Be careful to obey some of what's written. Be careful to obey what you agree with is written in God's word. None of those are what Joshua said. None of those are what God's word teaches. He says, be careful to obey all that is written in the word of God, the book of the law of Moses. He was encouraging the Israelites to obey everything. And you and I would do well as well if we would obey everything. See, Many times, we can kind of seek to obey the easy things, right? We read God's Word, and it talks about having purity of speech. Well, if, if you've never struggled with purity of speech, we say, oh, yes, that's a, that's a good one. Yes, we must have pure speech. And we, we you know, pound God's Word. Everybody must have pure speech, because maybe that's something that we don't struggle with. But then we'll, we'll come across something else in God's word that we struggle with, and we kind of slide around it, and, well, but I, I'm doing these things over here. It can be easy to, to look at God's word and find simple things or find the things that we're already doing and saying, yep, I'm being obedient. We could check off a, a whole host of things that we're doing, but it's a portion of God's word. He's desiring that we would obey at all. And that's the challenge for you and I, because as we read and study and as we're taught and as we're in classes or discipleship or worship opportunities like this, where we're hearing God's word being preached and proclaimed, we hear more and more about God's word and there's more and more to obey. And the challenge is, will we obey it or will we go back to our handful of things that we feel good about obeying? And just kind of leave the rest for a few other people. He's encouraging them to obey everything. Or to obey all that God has said. He says, don't turn to the right or to the left. In other words, don't stray. Stay on that straight and narrow and follow after what God has. Because how many of you know sometimes we can get distracted? We can get distracted by sin. We can also get distracted by hindrances. Maybe there's some things that are are not sinful, they're just not wise, they're not good, and they keep us from honoring and serving and obeying God. He's saying, listen, don't turn to one side or the other, the right or to the left. Stay focused on obeying God. 
even a, even a little deviation. You know, have you ever done something with a, with a compass or you're on your, your GPS or using a, maybe a smartphone and you're trying to get somewhere and you think, okay, I'm really not that far off. I'm only a degree or two off according to my compass. Or, you know, when I look at my map, I think I'm headed pretty much in the right way. You might start out being not very off, but start traveling for an hour or two or three and see what a difference just a handful of degrees make. Over time, you're not just a a few feet apart. You might not just be a, a few blocks apart. You might be literally miles and miles apart. And you see, that's sometimes what happens is we think we're really not that far off from serving God. We're really not that far off from obeying Him fully. You know, it's just a little bit off. I'm pretty good. I'm, I'm pretty close in my obedience. But over time, over time, over time, just that handful of degrees, we begin to diverge very, very greatly from where God wants us to be. And Joshua's saying, listen, In case you hadn't caught it, everybody, I'm old, I'm very old, I don't have much more time. But I want you to hear what's got to take place. Don't just remember what God's done. Stay true and obey all that God has taught. Don't turn to the right. Don't turn to the left. He says, don't associate with these other nations. Now, people could look to that and he says, don't associate with the nations that remain among you. Oh, How insensitive could he be? Nothing biased about that. God's saying, don't get tied into these other nations that are around you because they are sinful nations and you will be brought down and brought away and sucked away from that relationship with me. Stay true to me, not to the right, not to the left, not connecting with these other nations. He says, don't involve or don't invoke the names of their gods. Don't even... Bring the names of their gods to your mind to think about them. You're bringing these other gods, these other nations into your mind. Don't waver in your belief of the one true God. Don't swear by them. Not just your mind, it's the utilizing of your lips. He says, don't serve them. Implying, you know, the heart and soul, all of who we are. He says, don't bow down to them. Now you're, you're utilizing your physical bodies to, dow, uh, to bow down towards some other God. Now, we could read this, shut the Bible, shut our book, and think, I got this down. No graven images in my living room. No big, you know, golden cow or calf or bull or goat or anything, you know, so I'm good. I don't have that kind of an idol. Don't you know that there are idols, anything that would come between us and God? And Joshua's wanting to say, listen up. Stay strong in your obedience. Don't give in. Don't budge even just a a little bit, a smidge, a handful of degrees. Because over time, we're opening ourselves up to drifting away from God. In fact, what he says Don't do these things, but in verse 8, you must hold fast to the Lord your God. Some versions, some translations would would write that as cling or cleave to God. That word cleave is interesting. In fact, that was used even back in Genesis about 
how a man would cleave to his wife. Leave and cleave. Leave the family, cleave the wife. And so it kind of borrows from that, that marriage imagery, that marriage analogy. Basically, he's saying this, no third party is allowed in the marriage, husband and wife, purely, right? In this relationship, it's to be you and God. No third parties, nobody else, nothing else. It should be you honoring, cleaving, clinging to, holding fast to your walk and your relationship with God. Hold fast, cling. I mean, th these are some very active imagery and verbs. If you're, if you're holding on to some bars or, or holding on to the monkey bars at, at a school playground, you, you got to hang on tight, right? Unfortunately, sometimes in our walk with God, in our relationship with Him, we don't hang on so tight. In fact, we've got a pretty loose grip. Because if we're not careful, sometimes we seek to see how much we can get away with and still be a Christian. Rather than hanging on tight, we'll say, how far can I go but still be called a Christian? Joshua wasn't saying, you know, just do a handful of things now and then to be called or considered a Christian. He says, hold fast to. The safest and the closest counter against sin is not just the denying of sin, it's the holding fast, the holding on to God. If we hold on to Him, there's going to be less of that pull towards the other things that try to pull us away from Him. How I many of you know there's going to be a lot of temptations in life? Those temptations can be different. I mean, look around and, and our audience here today, you're going to see different kinds of people, different stages of life. And the things that might be a temptation to you might be zero temptation to the one across from you. So it's not just about which temptations. There's going to be a whole host of them that can reach out to you and I. Will we give in to them, loosen our grip on God, and, and kind of slide over to the other temptations? Or will we do as Joshua said, hold fast, cling, cleave to God? The author Richard Baxter says, the cost of obedience is nothing compared with the cost of disobedience. Because that's the challenge is many times we think it's, it's hard, it's, it's tough to say yes to God. Because there's the cost sometimes in the home, in the job, in the workplace. Sometimes that cost of obeying God, that cost of serving Him, Sometimes uh, means that our, our friendships or relationships get strained or limited depending on their, whether someone else has a relationship with God and, and the strength of ours with Him. But the quote says, the cost of obedience is nothing compared with the cost of disobedience. To disobey God, to walk away from God has the much greater cost. The encouragement here is obey God. Get into His Word. Don't just know about the Word of God. Know the God of His Word. Hear what God's Word has to say. Make time for Him. Hear it and obey it. Put it into practice. We've got to adjust our lives to the Word of God 
not the other way around. Particularly in today's day and age with all kinds of topics and all kinds of uh, modern current events, modern day Christians are trying to change and adapt God's word to fit their life or their lifestyle. We stand upon God's word. Our life must change. Our life must conform to fit God's word. We don't change what God's word says or means to try to fit the way that we're living or the lifestyle we choose to live. He says, hold fast, cling or cleave to the Lord. The challenge is to do so on a regular basis. Here's what the brilliant pianist Arthur Rubinstein said. Now his quote is going to be about piano and and about playing and practicing the piano. But see if it bears any semblance or similarity to our walk with God, our relationship with God, and the habit of spending time with God, obeying Him. He says this, when I miss practicing one day, nobody knows it. When I miss practicing two days, I know it. When I miss practicing three days, the world knows it. Very similar, I think, with our walk with God. That desire of obedience and faithfulness and seeking after Him. Will we be strong? Will we be faithful to remember, to obey, and then finally, to love? Verse 9 says, The Lord has driven out before you great and powerful nations. To this day, no one has been able to withstand you. One of you routes a thousand because the Lord your God fights for you just as he promised. So be very careful to love the Lord your God. His third famous last word here in this chapter is love. His concern for the Israelites is their commitment or maybe a lack of commitment. That they truly won't love and seek and follow after God. As we shared a little earlier in our service, I'd encourage you to reflect on and love God for who He is. You look through and you read through and you study through the Word of God, and there's many names of God, many reminders about who our God is. We're able to love Him because of that, love Him because of what He's done. When we encounter special people, famous people, it often boils down to one of these two or both. When you and I, if we have someone special in our lives, it could be a sports hero, it could be a a musical artist, it could be a a movie star, whatever the case might be, someone that you look up to, if you were to meet them, chances are you would respond in one of those two ways. You would be excited simply because of who they are, or excited because of what they've done. If it's a Super Bowl winning quarterback, that's who they are. If it's a top of the musical charts, pop sensation, that's that's who they are. If it's a famous movie star or actress, that's who they are. And as you, you get to meet them, you would be so thankful for what they've done, how they helped your team to victory. How they were awesome in that television show or that movie that you loved. 
how you listened to their songs over and over again, and it encouraged you, it uplifted you, it, it entertained you. Whatever the case, we would probably respond that we're pretty crazy about them for who they are and what they've done. How much more ought we to do that for God? Loving God for who He is. Loving God for what He's done in our lives. We can look through God's Word and we can be reminded about who He is. We can be reminded about what He's done. We can also look to our lives and be thankful for the many blessings that we've experienced. For, for many, many in this room have got not just years, but probably decades and decades of faithfulness. We can see how God has shown himself faithful. To pause and reflect and say, God, I thank you and I love you for who you are and for what you have done. Love him as well because he fights for us. He drives out those that come before. He works and fights on our behalf to heal, to strengthen, to guide, to protect, to provide. God is working on your behalf. God is working on my behalf. Love and honor and respect Him. How can we not love a God who has saved us, changed us, prepared a future in heaven for us. Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 22 talking about the greatest commandment. He says to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and soul and mind and strength. Honor him. Love him. Let it be out of motivation rather than duty. Don't you love when someone loves you because they want to love you? If you're married or if you've got family members... We've all got some family members. We would love that that family member comes up and says, I love you, and means it, as opposed to, I love you, because they said I had to tell you that. I would sure, Kim, I would sure rather that Kim would say that she loves me because she desires that. Then she feels obligated or, or under a duty to say that she loves me. And I'm sure that she would love to hear that as well in the same way. Do we love God out of duty, out of obligation to say, well, I guess I'm, I'm supposed to love God. All right, God, you know, I love you. Now get out of here. Let me do my own life. Or, or do we have this, this heartfelt desire, this heartfelt motivation to respond because of who he is, because of what he's done, because of how he works on our behalf, that we reach out in love towards God. Chuck Colson said this, loving God, really loving him, means living out his commands no matter the cost. Sometimes it's not going to be easy living them out. You ever experienced that? You seek to be faithful to God in your home and in your family. You seek to be faithful in the community, in your job. And by being obedient to God, that's made some people mad, irritated, frustrated. Stay faithful to love, to honor, to obey God. So these famous last words in Joshua chapter 23, he encourages the Israelites. I believe his words would do well for you and I to follow. 
Let us remember, let us obey, and let us love. Now, the last number of verses, we'll let you read that on your own. But to give us a, just a couple of other themes, we see the theme of consequences. Joshua shares with the people, there are consequences to not following God. The encouragement is to remember about God, to obey God, and to love God. If we don't do these things, there are consequences. But Joshua also reminds them about the faithfulness of God. In fact, in one of those final verses, he says that not one of God's promises, not one of his good promises, have failed. We can't say the same, can we? Try as we might, as hard as we try, we try to keep our word, we try to keep our promises, we try to be found faithful, and we just keep messing up. We would, we would feel good about ourselves if the majority of the time we kept our word and kept our promises. Joshua is saying, it's not just the majority of time, it's every single time. Not one of God's promises. And by the way, they're not just promises, they're good promises. Not one of God's good promises have failed. It's an incredible reminder. Joshua says, remember, obey, and love. 